Welcome to the Trailer Cast with Elise Snipes. Each week, I will be sharing with you from inside my vintage trailer where I work as a therapist and share some of my musings on the human experience. I am endlessly fascinated and inspired by people. I love being a therapist and I'm deeply grateful for the intimate and beautiful work I get to do. I believe we are wildly capable of healing and making this world a better place, and this is my attempt at doing that. Sharing beauty to invoke beauty. May you find yourself inside these stories and ponderings and be better for it. Cheers. Okay, everyone, this is the interview I've been talking about all week, and I'm super excited for you to hear from my friend Heather Avis. She's the author first of The Lucky Few, and then most recently, Scoot Over and Makes a Room, and she's going to talk to us today about all things motherhood, inclusion, parenting, and just the art of being human in the most beautiful, messy, gracious, intelligent way. So welcome, Heather. Thank you. What an introduction. Thanks, girl. This is so fun. What an honor. It's so fun to actually get to be here via this like modality and then to get pe- have people have the chance to listen in and hear what it's yeah. like to talk together. It's great. I love, yeah, I love podcast world. It's so good. Okay. So tell for people who are like, wait, who, um, what's happening? I want to know more. Um, how do you respond to the question? The wide open question, who are you? <laughs> what are you up to? <laughs> Condense it. Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's always changing. My husband and I work together and, and we're right now like, what do we do? I'm not totally sure. We like we need to narrow this down to the hundred word pitch, right? Yep. Um, so I am I feel like my biggest and greatest honor is to be a mom and a wife. And I've been married to my husband Josh for 17 years. We have three kids. Our oldest is eleven, a little girl, Mason. Our middle daughter is eight, truly, and then our son is five. And um all my kids came to me through adoption, which wasn't the initial plan ever. My oldest and youngest have Down syndrome, which also wasn't the initial plan. My middle daughter is a different ethnicity than I am. My husband and I are both Caucasian, and our middle daughter is Guatemalan and African-American. And we were fine with that, but it is it is a whole other um, thing. Is just a terrible word to use, but it comes with a lot. Uh, it requires a lot of intentionality, um, and it's heavy. It's a heavy thing to hold and a beautiful thing to hold and navigate how to be a white woman parenting a little girl who um, is African-American. So there's all these things that I didn't expect. And then my daughter was born. My oldest daughter came home in 2008 when everyone who was a stay-at-home mom and maybe everyone in the world created a blog. I think 2008. <laughs> um, you know who you are. <laughs> and then social media became a thing. And then it's Instagram. And so I ended up with an Instagram account talking about Down syndrome, basically sharing a day in the life or a picture a day of what it means to raise a child with Down syndrome, really with the goal of normalizing, um, which I use air quotes because nothing's normal, but normalizing that you can have a child with Down syndrome and still be full of you and have an awesome family and do hard things and all the lessons I'd learned. And then that just kind of blew up. So that led to a book deal and then led to um, just a larger account with, with opportunities, lots and lots of incredible opportunities where people want I get to share my experiences and opinions with the world and people are listening. So I hold that real, um, with a lot of humility and grace and gratitude and, and so, power and power you hold it with power too. Thanks girl. Yeah. 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 And navigate that. It's a tricky place. Social media, like being a legit influencer in social media is a really tricky job. <laughs> if you're doing it consciously. Yes. Which 
it clearly sounds like you are as I hear your inner monologue going through like the responsibility and, and, and opportunity. Yeah. 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 It is like, how do you hold both the responsibility yeah. and the opportunity and have your intentions stay pure? Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. So what is your Instagram handle? It is the lucky few official. So early on when we were raising Macy, I started just uh, referring, using a hashtag, the lucky few. It just came to me one day. I actually have a lot of things that just come to me. I'm <laughs> kind of good at saying, <laughs> you don't really get paid for things, but the yeah, lucky no, some people do. You see mad men, right? I mean, people get sure. paid for saying. <laughs> Let's say I don't get paid for saying, but the lucky few took off in the Down syndrome community so much so that when we tried to trademark it last year, um, we were denied because it's too common a phrase for a people group. Come on, <laughs> come on. You're like, but it was me. You're like, I started, like phrase. it was from my own head. Yeah, exactly. So the lucky few, meaning few of us have a child with Down syndrome. Those of us who do are very lucky. And my role that I've stepped into, so going back to your question, who am I? Um, I'm a narrative shifter. And so what I've, what we're trying to do is take, there's an idea that's a, a deficit. So you will have a child with Down syndrome. There's a deficit behind that announcement, behind receiving that. And we're saying, oh, you're actually really lucky. So we're putting an asset in place of a deficit. I got the chills when you said that. It's like, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, and I'm not new to your work or your words, but I'm like, whoa, that hit me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We actually, I was interviewing a friend who has a daughter who's in her late twenties and um, they become mentors and dear, dear friends to us. But he actually said that I had never said that about the lucky few. And he said the phrase, the lucky few, you're putting an asset where there was a deficit. Whoa, I'll take it. I'll do it. Yeah. 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 And I'll, it was like invocation as well. Like not only do I hear that, is it true? I'm going to live into that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, That, that is, that's how it's unfolded into the the world and the community. And it really felt heavy to me too. That idea of like, Oh, okay. I think for me, and maybe this is for all humans, I don't know, or Westerners. I think I can speak more to that. Um, I wake up every day doing my thing and it, and it loses the importance because it just becomes mundane. Mm-hmm. And, and then to hear people say, oh, I actually see what you're doing and this is how I'm interpreting it, which is like the point of why we're doing it. Yes. And that just feels like, whoa, okay, I'll get up tomorrow and keep going. Oh, I love yeah. it. I love it. It's, it's like art, right? you know, you have your mm-hmm. intention of what it's going to be and people come and view the masterpiece and you're like, whoa, I didn't even see it from that perspective. And it gets bigger and it gets mm-hmm. more complex. And then we're connected because you had the intention and I had an observation and it's the same piece. It's still you raising your kids and being open about it. It's just so beautiful. I love it. Love it. Yes. Mm-hmm. We're off to so a good, good. start. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So can I embarrass myself to you real quick? I would love that. <laughs> The first time that we met was at a wedding Mm -hmm. and I had been geeking out on your book that whole weekend. I read it cover to cover and was in so deep. Okay. And then I, I did not know you were going to be at this wedding. So all of a sudden I like, I see you and I'm like, I have this massive fangirl moment where I'm like, oh my God, she's here. And so then, okay. And this is, this is your first first book, Lucky Feel. Okay. So then after the ceremony, you come up to me and I'm staying with my husband and my husband sees who you are, but he can't put it together that you're the person from the book I've just been reading. As I've been reading to him this whole weekend, like all these like just mic dropping lines. And so he's looking and I'm like, don't say it. Don't like, stop. Just, no, you don't, you don't just move out of the way. Right. Stop doing this. Cause I thought he was gonna blow my cover. And so I was like, just played it super cool. Like, oh yeah. Okay, great. Right. So I pretended to just like be like, oh sure. Just be super normal. Now, 
I remember. I feel like I want to, can I interject here for a sure. second? I go to my friend's wedding and it was, um, it felt like an important wedding. I'll, and I'll just say some background because it does feel relevant. So they're both women getting married and there's a sense of, um, there's an underdog moment of having to get to that place. And everyone in the room feels that and celebrates that. And having, I have chills about it. Cause then I, I looked at Josh and I'm like, this is how it's going to be when our kids with Down syndrome get married, because it's not just two people walking into a space getting married. It was so much and you're officiating and you had, you have to share this part, ice white dreads, sure long, did. long, long. <laughs> and I feel like you're wearing a black dress. Were you wearing? Yeah. Anyways, I'm like, who is this goddess? <laughs> officiating this magic moment. It was, it was incredible. So I was like, I don't know her, but I have got to go say hello. And I had no idea. I had no I idea that you knew who I was. So cool. Oh my gosh. So cool. Okay. That's so cool. That wedding changed my life. It was one of the most spiritual experiences I've ever had. Um, all of that. Um, and I decided I need a, a redo today. So today I'm wearing your shirt. You do you. <laughs> I am holding both of your books. I am coming in as the fangirl that I truly am. That I was like, I am. I'm not gonna hold back and pretend to play it cool because I'm not. I am. This is. If I would have met you the first time, I would have been like this. I love everything you do. I read all your books. I bought your shirt. I, like, would have. That's exactly how I would have come in. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. Okay, this you might have to take this out of our conversation. Gets too long, but I have to tell you a story. So I'm a huge fan of the show Grey's Anatomy. Oh, mm-hmm. huge. Like I've seen every episode, uh, literally. And Ditto. one of my very good friends um, has a daughter with Down syndrome, my, my son's age. We become very, very t- dear friends. Our children are betrothed, her, her daughter and my son. <laughs> yeah. And so we, she's like, I've met this new woman. She has a brand new baby with, with Down syndrome and uh, like telling me all about her. She's like, she's on some show, but I don't watch the show. And we see each other. And every time I see her, she's like, you have to meet this person, you have to meet this person. And then I'm like, show me her picture. I'm like, oh my gosh, that is Dr. Amelia Shepard. From Grey's Anatomy. Stop it. Katerina has a daughter with Down syndrome. And so here's what I do. Okay. The first time I meet her, it's at my friend's daughter's birthday party. I answer the door and I pretend like I have no idea who she is. (laughs) Why do we do these things? Inside. Right. And I'm like, she knows that I know. Like she knows that I know who she is. Of course. She's freaking Dr. Amelia Shepard. Anyway, that was my moment. Man, I did not know that. I love Amelia. Yeah. I mean, we could probably do a whole entire episode on the transformation of her character in Grey's Anatomy because I am also diehard. So okay. um, I really like what she's at right now. And I like her short yeah. hair. <laughs> she's, she's an awesome human in real life and has beautiful children and a wonderful husband. And yeah, that's so cool. That's so cool. Um, is there, a, do you, what, you just came out with Scoot Over and Make Some Room. Do you want, do you want to dive into that book a little bit? Sure. Or a lot bit? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, this book was like, uh, so lucky few made me cry and blew my mind. Mm. I felt connected to you. Scoot Over and Make Some Room was like, Scoot Over and Make Some Room because there's a conversation that is about to be had. Like it, you were unapologetic and yet graceful and that combination struck me as like a woman who knows what she has to say and is going to say it in a way that people are going to hear it but not so much so that it's like invasive like Mm -hmm. that's a really fine line between being an authority and really being an authority in the matter and yet putting it out there no people can actually absorb it and I love how you how you do that in this book you don't back down from what from what you have to say thanks yeah I think Mm -hmm. I've been extended a lot of grace and learning to do that. So, um, 
it's taught me then to extend grace in areas where really, I mean, that's the whole thing that grace is, it's not deserved, you know, mm-hmm. so to learn how to do that. So I appreciate that you see that. That was, that was my intention in writing the book and how I try to live out as well. Yeah. I dig it. What was your hardest chapter to write? <laughs> oh, um, it's really hard to write. Let me, let me think. What chapter did I write last? It would be the chapter I wrote last. <laughs> okay. I always put it off and I'm trying to think. Chapters on race were really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt really vulnerable and risky. And um, I'm just still such a learner in that space that I don't feel like I can speak with authority on the subject and that I know I will say things that feel offensive to somebody. Um, and I'm not, I'm okay with offending people, but not if it's a, out of my ignorance. I mm. don't prefer that. You know what I mean? Great distinction. <laughs> and Great. so, yeah. So, um, that chapter was hard. It took a lot. It was a lot of sitting down and learning. It was harder too, because it took more time because I was more intentional. I was meeting with people of color to help me through process through my thoughts and make sure that I didn't put something out there that I actually didn't believe or understand. Um, or that was ignorant and foolish. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Cause I read, I read that, I read that chapter twice because I saw the nerve, like the gall you'd have to say, okay, I'm, I have to include this chapter. Mm-hmm. Like I ha- I can't have this book and this chapter not be included. And yet you, I felt there's a lot of precision in the way that you were having that conversation in that. I mean, it felt like a conversation when I read yeah. the book, probably because I'm talking, I'm talking to you, Heather, I <laughs> while it. I read your book, but um, <laughs> it was like, wow, you were, I could feel the your approach to it. And it felt like it was informed, careful. And yet still, again, you still have that ability to make it straight to the points, straight to the heart. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that was one too, that I had certain people in mind as I was writing it, like people who I have hard, have had conversations with that have not ended well, because it's a, it's a tense conversation and talking about people who don't understand the idea of white privilege, um, things like that. So I, I was thinking through and like, okay, this is my letter to them. Like this, if I can say it more clearly without being interrupted and without the emotion there, these are the things that I want to communicate. And so there were people in my mind that I'm like, are they going to read this? And it's going to, there'll be some knee jerk reactions. And, Mm. um, and I think that's necessary. The knee jerk reactions, you know, because they lead to what, um, hopefully, I mean, they, they lead to a next step. So it's an opportunity to do the right thing or to learn more. It also quickly can lead to shutting down or the wrong step, but it leads to emotion instead of indifference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have the right guide, then it's going to lead you to a step in the right direction when you have a knee jerk. And I always tell people like when, when you're reading something or you hear something and your knee jerk reaction is negative or defensive, sit mm-hmm. with that, mm-hmm. you know, like, go, okay, why, why is this? And then stay in that space, stay in that space continue seeking and you're nodding your head. And I feel like as a therapist, it, I'm feeling good about this. Is this oh, yes. I'm, I am like here, like go Heather. <laughs> because okay, good. Cause we, I don't know what I'm doing. You but isn't, but don't we, isn't that, isn't that the beauty of like, of like truth universally, as we know it, when we come to something that's true, it's, it's true in general, not just because you thought it right. It's mm. actually, mm-hmm. it's actually true. And just because psychology says it, it's also true for, for all, for all humans that when we come to something and it does like 
there's a jolt, there's a something, we can tend to want to have like, we can have a trauma response to it, which is like, I'm going to like fly. I'm, I don't want to deal with that. I'm not going to deal with that. You know, uh, we could freeze and feel like, oh my God, I have no idea what this conversation is going to look like, be like, I don't know what to do here. Um, we can fight. And that's when mm. that's, that's a lot of the times what can happen. Uh, we engage in conflict rather than conversation. Um, and then the one that I've learned about recently is appease. Appease is another trauma mm. response that we can do, which is we just smile and nod or agree because we actually don't know how to show up to that space. And so, when I'm hearing you say, like, no, we're going to lean into the discomfort and see what it has to offer us is the way through that emotion onto the other side of actually, like, connection. There's connection yeah. to be had there. Yeah. And so I love it. I have a ch- chapter called Sit in the Tension. Yeah. And um, that's just through li- through lessons and relationships that I really believe in that. I really believe in the need, especially for American, you know, like, middle-class to wealthy Americans Mm -hmm. when things get tense to sit in that, like to be okay in it and not try to run. Um, but that, yeah, that's how I feel about that. Ah, I dig it. I dig it. What do you think it'll be like for your kids to read this book one day? I also think about that with every word I write. Um, Yeah, you do, huh? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I think that I worry the most about truly. I think Mason and August are going to be good. I think Mason might be like, mom, you shared too much. Okay. I was too big. I was too mm-hmm. old in there. And I even do like a little footnote in, at the beginning of one chapter where I talk about her. Um, she pulled her pants down at, at a park when she was in yeah. third grade. And and it's like, okay, that can be very embarrassing for her. And at this point in life, her friends are reading this as well. They can read this. And And I almost took it out. I went back and forth, back and forth. So like a little side, I'll come to the question about like a little tangent, even yeah. with social media, <clears throat> excuse me, um, there's, I'm constantly thinking about my kids as I'm putting them out there. What's mine to tell? What's theirs to tell? Mm. Um, and I am telling things that are theirs to tell, but I also, the balance I'm trying to hold and you can help me out here sure. and guide me <laughs> is, um, I know as I'm raising children, who don't fit the mold, I'm desperate for finding other people out there to give me advice and, or to tell me what they're doing and see that yeah. they're doing. I, I'm desperate for me too. Yeah. And so I'm trying to be that. And to do that, I have to tell a story about what happened to my kid. Um, and I'm not telling everything, you know, I'm posting mm-hmm. one thing a day or mm-hmm. I'm writing things that feel important, but, but I'm telling a story that is about them and, and so I hold that, like, I want yeah. everyone to know who follows me. I'm not, I'm not flipping about this. Like I'm holding that and I'm being mindful of it. And there's things I don't tell, but I also know that right now there's a certain things that my 11 year old daughter is doing that I really want to share with the world because a, I want someone to reach out to me and say, Oh my gosh, me too. Yes. And B, I want someone to go, thank you so much. I thought I was alone in this. Um, but it also might make her embarrassed, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and my kids are my priority. So that's, Ah, yeah, man, I feel that, isn't it? Yeah, it feels like pinball. It's like, like yeah. okay, that's true, and that's true, and that's true, and now you're just, yeah, hitting all the walls with it. Yeah, yeah. and so yeah. with the book, I, like with Truly, my middle daughter, um, it's been it's been an adventure raising her, and there are characteristics about her that are, I mean, 
things that I'm striving for as a 37 year old woman that she already has, but she's a child and to raise a child like that is, can be a challenge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I want to speak about it truthfully, but I also want her when she reads about what I've said about her, that she knows how deeply loved and cherished she is. Yes. Um, but I am sharing harder things about my being her mom than I am about being the mom of the other two kids. It's just different. It is. I don't, yeah, I don't know. At least what do you think I should do? Yeah, no, I, <laughs> <laughs> I think you already have the construct to do it well and with care. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what you should do is continue to honor that tension. Mm. Right. Yeah. That's, and then maybe for me to, to even get to tell you me too, like I, I feel that same tension as a mom who, sees the like these like gold nuggets of like a bigger story I want to tell the people that are listening about my son about my son about my daughter and then that balance of I need to tell the story just so happens it's on the canvas of this kiddo right now um and without wanting them to be character assigned like I think sometimes too I want to avoid like typing like this is my my brave son this is my you know it's like because what self-fulfilling prophecy exists and how I continue to sculpt them. And then yet also like any parent would get to tell the funny story, get to, you know, be like, Oh my goodness, this week (laughs) I was ready to just walk out the front door and, and have that be okay. Cause at the end of the day, influence or not, or influence and, or just a parent trying to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just keep going. I always say yeah, well, I can shut it down tomorrow. I mean, the content that's out there is out right. there. We're not hinting about that, but if yep. my, my family's my priority, you know, yep. so yeah. I need to do that. But until then, yeah, keep on keeping on. Yeah. Yeah. I resonate with that too. It's like, cool. If it's, if it, if at some point it's like, mm, this is no longer serving that, that original why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then it ends. Mm-hmm. And that's freedom rather than restriction yeah, it feels that way. And even um, someone who's like a, a mentor, a very wise person in our life even said, people aren't going to listen forever. People mm. are listening right now. So just know that. And it's true. It's true. And and I and I feel, again, really honored and humbled at that yeah. and um, hold it with, what's the word? I, I try, We try to steward it all as really well right now because people are listening. Yep. Yep. Yeah. People, and people are listening, Heather, again, because you do hold it well. I think that there are a lot of reckless things on social media um, and unworthy things and things that create leads and all the other sort of BS that people can get caught up in. But it's like when you're speaking from this space, I think that people recognize soul to soul, genuineness. They, they're resonating with something deeper and they're listening because it calls to something that's within them, too. And like attracts like. And we know it when we see it, you know? Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what else is like when you were, when we were preparing for this conversation today, what are things like you want people that are listening to know about you? Oh, mm. about conversation, di- you know, dialogue, what words do we use? How can we equip people that are listening? Yeah. So because two of my kids have down syndrome, I get asked this a lot in back to school is just starting. Mm. I don't know when this will air, but it's back to school season. Yep. And so I'll have, I have teachers, special ed teachers, general ed teachers, parents, um, administrators, like reaching out saying what I'm, I want to do well having a child with a different ability at our school or in my classroom, what should I do? Do you have any tips? And I want, and I want to say to them on, and I say this honestly, like I wrote a book so you can <laughs> get the book, 
because I feel I'm being repetitive. <laughs> yeah, you're like, you're like, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Chapter four. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're like, I'll quote um, myself, but really read yes. the book. Yes. Yeah, but it is. I'm both of my kids have Down syndrome. We live in Southern California, and they're going into a general education setting. Um, there's at our school, there's a special education classroom that that is where they were supposed to go. And it is a self-contained segregated classroom. Um, and there are things that, that have been given terms like mainstream, which would mean maybe they go out for lunch together, but it's usually they stick within their pod of, of their class and they might go to lunch earlier or later, but there's not community there for those kids. Um, which means there's not community for the rest of the population at school to learn from them. And my biggest thing that I want to communicate back to school people, but this goes for anybody. This goes for, for, you don't have to have kids, but you have a job or you get in an Uber car or whatever. You're walking around the world. Um, when you're approached by somebody who's significantly different than you to look at that as an opportunity for learning and growth and to be, and to look at it as like, opportunity. You know, like there is somebody here who's different than me. This is an opportunity to learn from someone and grow in this area rather than, um, you know, I think people feel nervous or they feel unprepared and that's fine. But if you switch your posture to, Oh, okay, this is an opportunity for learning and growth. Mm -hmm. And then you see the honor, you can honor that person and you see the humanity in that person rather than the differences. Like, let's start there, you know? And I say to my kids, teachers, I need you when they walk in your classroom to see them as fully human and fully capable. And if we start there, then we can do anything. Like we can figure out why my son ran out of the classroom every day for the first week, you know, or like we can totally, figure out totally. how to get him off the ground when it's time yeah. to go from point A to point B. But I need to know that when you see him and he wears his disability on his face, cause he has down syndrome, not all people with disabilities wear them. He does that. You see him as fully human mm. and fully capable like everyone else in the classroom. Love it. And that you interacting with him is an opportunity for you to learn and grow. And so that's the same. Like if your kids have someone in their, in their school or their classroom who's different than them in any capacity. Yes. How do you get your kid drawn to that person? Because there's so much opportunity there for yes. growth as a human, you know? Yeah, there is. There's and so adults. much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, wow, we could benefit from this as adults. Um, go into language, which I yeah. about person-centered language, person-first yeah. language. Yeah. Um, there's so like little things to know, and one one of those things to talk about is, and I say we like in the Down syndrome community is person-first yeah. language, and actually this is interesting, but within the Down syndrome community, I will speak for that group of okay. people. We person-first language is really important, and so you're going to see first that my child is a child, or that a person is a person, and then other things, but, and then you can say their disability and that doesn't have to be number two, but that they aren't their disability. So you would say a child with down syndrome or your son with down syndrome. I have a friend with down syndrome, not down syndrome child or down syndrome student or down syndrome person. That's a real easy switch. However, to throw a wrench in it, this isn't the case for all people with different abilities. Um, I recently read an article by a woman who is a self-advocate and has a disability. And she says, um, I would like to be referred to as a disabled woman because wow. Wow. my disability is powerful and, and it's something that's amazing about me. And when you try to put it um, second, then you're saying that it's not, that it's a bad thing. You're making it a negative. Oh. 
right? It was yeah. incredible. It was an incredible <laughs> article. Oh my gosh, yeah. Because you can hear her reclaiming and saying, no, this is exactly who I am. See yep. me, hear me, mm-hmm. like listen to me, take this on. This is me. Well, it's yeah. so rad. And so then what I say to the rest of us, population, the able-bodied population um, without cognitive disability or physical disabilities is be a learner. So if you run into somebody and you say something that was offensive to them, then, then apologize and learn from it and move on, you know? Yep. And yep. if the next person says, well, actually, I don't like that language. Don't be like, well, this person said that I should. And this person, I don't know what to do. And this is too confusing. No, you do the thing that, res- that honors and respects the person. The population is so small mm-hmm. that do what you need to do for the one person. Totally. That's, that's what I think. <laughs> yeah, right? And you're saying that. And I'm like, oh, yeah. But then I hear a lot of that rhetoric usually where it's like, oh, gosh, we're getting so, you know, sensitive and bubble. You know, I hear right. a lot of um, privileged yep. thinking in why would I have to make an allowance for someone who's different than me? And it's like, right, that's the whole, <laughs> the whole point because <laughs> yeah. everyone else is allowed for you. <laughs> so That and because what I've learned by doing this, like by living this out, is not just with my kids, but I, I now have the privilege to be in rooms with people who are different because my kids have ushered me in, into those spaces. I am a better human being because of it. So if you would like to grow in your humanity mm-hmm. and grow as, as a person yep. towards goodness, then do these things, you know, then yep. bend and flex and do the one thing for the one and view it as opportunity Yes. for learning and growth. Yep. I love that. Yeah. Is there anything that you do specifically for your kids in pre- preparing them for back to school? Um, like I, I'm, and my leading question might be some of this is like, I think, oh, I, I'm always wanting to make sure they're aware about, I want me to be aware of other people. I want them to be aware of their body. I always start the year off with a, like my body, my choice conversation because mm-hmm. I'm aware of just like of the rates of childhood sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. How are there specific things that you prepare your kids for? And do you have to do any of that uniquely for Mason and August. Yes. Um, it back to school and to all the moms and dads, grandparents, caregivers who are sending kids back to school who are neurotypical, able-bodied, just know how much those of us who have a kid with special needs are holding. It is so much and it is very lonely. And to, it, there's opportunity for you to come alongside and say, how can I hold this with you? I'm so excited your kid is in my class. I mean, if you're doing full inclusion, like we are with our girl, our kids with Down syndrome. It's so much prep. Um, we're prepping. I mean, we're working with teachers. Both my kids' teachers have been teaching for over 17, like 17 years or more. This is the first time they've had a student with Down syndrome. Wow. And so wow. we're, we're starting from scratch, you yep. know, we're starting from scratch and starting with, like I said, Hey, my kid is fully able. So I actually <laughs> have on our website, which is the We have a back to school kit love it put together. And so we provide anyone who's working with our children. It's like a half sheet of our, our goals and expectations. And it's basically my goals for my kids. Long term is that they will be fully embraced and included in their communities, which includes um, schools, churches, extracurricular grocery stores, every space in their community that they will be a contribute um, within their gifts and talents to their community. And, that, so that's like our base. This is why we are sending our kids to school with all the rest of the kids, because this is our goal. And then we have expectations and we have desires. And we put a picture of our kid and we give that to everybody and say, put this on your desk. Like keep this, all the educators and teachers. Wow. This is why wow. we're doing yeah. what we're doing. Yeah. 
And then we have a letter we sent home with the classroom. Okay. That's just like, hi, my name is Mason. Awesome. I fa- yeah, my favorite foods are blah, blah, blah. What are your favorite foods? So yeah. the letter ends with like Down syndrome is and explains briefly what Down syndrome is. Um, says, here's my phone number, email address, if you have any questions. And that goes home to everyone in the class. I will do a, le- I'll go into the classrooms and talk to the students with my children not in there okay. so that I can answer any questions yeah. um, or concerns that they might have that. I don't want my kid to feel embarrassed about like open forum. You're brave. And you're so brave to do that. <laughs> That's I mean, that is a mama bear because you're your mom, your mama bear, not only for your kids in that moment, but for also for these kids, like how beautiful for a mom to like go into the classroom and to say anything you have, like, I want to be here to hear. Yeah. So that, so that they don't have to shield or field um, questions that would not be appropriate for them to hear. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's so great about kids is they have really good questions mm-hmm. and they're super satisfied with the answers, you know, like, <laughs> like, like well, Oh, cool. Yeah. Like Mason's drools. Why does she drool? And if you ask that in front of Mason, that could be super hurtful, but ask me that. And here's yeah. why she has something called hypertonia. Like her tongue is larger. Her muscles are lower tone. There's not as much um, sensation. Like there's a medical reason. They're like, Oh, okay. You know, and then move on instead of yeah. feeling afraid. Yeah. Yes. Um, oh yeah. And then we do things, I mean, I could go on and on here. Like, so we do things with our kids. Um, we do things called social stories where you're basically painting a picture of what is coming and how we respond to that. Love that. Um, and so those are super helpful. Have and you thought about, a, sorry, I'm going to interrupt real quick. Have you yeah. thought about either filming that or showing that somewhere, whether it's with your kids or having someone else model that, like, cause that I think, not only is that well for the participant, but for someone to watch how that's done so parents can also do that. For social stories or going into mm-hmm. the classroom? Social stories. Right. So the reason I haven't is because there are experts in this field, that, and I am not that. Like okay. people who have studied and created and written books about okay. social stories. So I I put pe- push people towards them. Towards that? Okay. Yeah. I think cool. in like as we're just brainstorming here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the future, I would, in the near future, I could partner with them and say, hey, can Great. I use what I have to yes. push your resources and, and help to inform your social stories for, yeah. for, yeah, love that. Cause, yeah. Cause there's, yes. there is, there is a better way to write a social story. Yep. Yeah. And so we're trying, I don't, and I'm not that, I don't know enough about it. I'm still learning. Okay. You know I mean? Experiment, yeah. experiment. You don't have to be an expert to still play. Yes. Yeah. But I'm not ready to teach it cool. to everybody or to, to say I'm the person to learn from. Yeah. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Not for the social stories. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell any friends or show people what I've done, but I will not be the expert. So yeah, we do that. And then it is every day I pick my kids up from school with a knot in my stomach because what happened today that I need to troubleshoot now with teachers and students and principals and special educators and my kid. Mm. And it's, it's every day. Yeah. What about what you don't know? Cause our, is Mason getting in the car and telling you this is what happened? No, no. So it's like, I mean, again, like how, how do you know? And what about what you don't know? Yeah. Yeah. No, what I don't know is terrifying. Yeah. Um, and even like w- with her, her bot, with my kids' bodies. So kids yeah. with, with intellectual disabilities are at least three times more likely to be sexually abused and than their peers. And maybe even I've heard statistics as much as 11 times more likely I've heard that recently it's as well. Astronomical. Yeah. Yeah. And let's go to that stat as well yeah, then yeah. that um 
three in five women before their age 18 will have had some form of sexual assault or sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And now they're even saying that with for men that it is going to it's I think two in five, which is an underreported category as well. So wow. the rates of childhood sexual abuse, and this could be a one-time incident. This doesn't always have to be pervasive. I think some people disqualify their experience because it wasn't years, because it wasn't ongoing. That doesn't that doesn't matter. Um, and then to hear eleven times, mm. yeah, it was, it's it was terrifying. It's unthinkable. Yeah. And and you know, my daughter and my son both have an aide to help as support, and it's necessary. And this year, it's a new person, and it's men. And I don't want to be gender biased or specific, but I'm going to be smart, you know? And so we do at the beginning of the year, it's a conversation with the teachers and anybody in, in power in the classroom. Yeah. Um, my children will never be alone with an adult, period. There's no reason anyone should follow them into the bathroom if they need toileting help, because a lot of kids with disabilities do. Yeah. You know, they yeah, start right. school and they need help with toileting. That's a huge piece. Yes. Um, it will be a female. Like yep. a female will help with toileting. And it will be charted and we will know the time and we will know all those things. And then it's like, there's just not a reason for that to happen. So I, everyone knows, I have to say out loud, I I know that like a lot of parents talking to the kids about it. I'm talking to my kids about it. And then I have to take the step. It's an awkward conversation to be like, Hey, I actually don't trust all of you guys enough to have you alone with my kids. You know what I mean? Like that's essentially what you're saying. Um, and so Mm. to have, like to have to have that conversation with, it's a lot of people involved too. That is. Yeah. It's so I, I want you to know it. I hear that most often um, from moms who will want to choose a female provider or female therapist or a female pediatrician or a female, female, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what that is like anything we can do to feel safe. And yet also knowing that statistically female perpetrators exist. Right. And, having like I just want people who are listening to realize that p- picking a female or a male isn't going to protect your child only right the additional awareness conversation education vetting paying attention to your intuition you know just really being aware of what's going on in our children's lives is essential and king we have if this conversation already makes people feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. then we need to lean in again to that this is uncomfortable to talk about who wants to talk about childhood mm-hmm. sexual abuse and think about it on the campus of your own child? Mm-hmm. Probably, I mean, no, no, nobody. this is not a conference. Nobody, nobody. Um, I have a friend who you should look up. You'll love her. name is Lindsay Strickland and she started something called worth the conversation. Mm-hmm. So worth conversation.com. Her Instagram handle is at worth the conversation. And it is, she has a son with down syndrome. And prior to that, she was a social worker um, working specifically with kids who have been sexually abused. And she is saying, she is saying we need to equip our kids and she has feels really hopeful for our, for the Down syndrome community specifically Good. because we are made of, of a bunch of mama bears. Yeah. We're incredibly proactive in every space. Yep. And she's like, we could actually get a handle on this and that's make right. sure that that doesn't happen. So yep. Yep. for anyone listening, check that out. Worth the conversation. It's incredible. I'm going to add another resource to that. Talk about abuse to liberate kids. Um, it's taalk.org, I believe. And it's a local mom daughter team that talks specifically about the more that we're able to have constructive conversations with our kids, right? Yeah. Then that's what, that's what you're doing. You're going to the classroom as you're empowering people, giving the tools to the right hands. Um, mm-hmm. 
so that way they're not responsible for what's going on, but they're aware of what's going on. And so then we're also aware of a peer to peer relationship too. Yeah. An appropriate contact. That's not yeah. from adults. We're talking about just peer to peer contact. I know. And with, with Mason being 11 in fifth grade, I'm that, that feels more, that feels heavier to me, the peer to peer. Yeah. yeah. I, like I just, I don't want to crawl in a hole. I don't even want to talk about it or yep. think about it. It's yep. so heavy. And so what do you do instead? Talk about it. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. 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 yeah prepare her for, yeah, be open and keep conversation, 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 yeah. conversation. Yeah. Um, side, side note to this, and then we can move on to something else. Sure. Um, my biggest fear used to be the idea, like what would happen if my children were ever sexually abused mm. as a sexual abuse survivor? It's no longer my biggest fear. Mm. I know within myself and with the people I get to work with, it is 100% healable. Is it? Is it awful? And do I wish that on somebody? No, obviously I don't want that to right. happen to people. Right. Do I know that it is survivable? Yes. Do I know that I can live in my body and and have relationships and be healthy and whole? 100%. So, for people that are maybe hearing this, I don't want to demonize it so far as that it's like people can't recover from it. Sure. We we can. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. And good yeah. to hear. Yeah. 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 It's good to know. <laughs> like, really, okay. I feel hopeful in the work I get to do because of that, knowing that. Um, the person-centered language was super helpful, I think. Um, people learning, being willing to not know, mm-hmm. leading the uncomfortable spaces. What about play dates? Like, what about, mm-hmm. um, what do you do for that? That's a big one that comes up in the school year a lot. It does. So there's a chance, chances that your kid is, has a kid at their school with a different ability or you run into someone in your community, there's someone in your community, it's really high. Chances are that there is. Um, And chances are that that mother, father, or caregiver is feeling so overwhelmed with all of the additional needs that their child has and alienated and all these things that it's hard for us to um, initiate a play date. Uh, My daughter, my oldest daughter, who's 11, she just last year went to her first birthday party without me because she's been invited to so few. I, I am also a helicopter mom. I own that, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, and just had her first play date without me, um, at 11 and last year, not one kid in the class invited her. All of our friends were that were hanging out with our people in other spaces. No one in her class has invited her to anything. And, and that breaks me. I mean, it breaks me. So, initiate it, do it, like put yourself out there and then talk to the mom. Like if a mom said to me, Hey, we really want to have a play date with Mason. We're super nervous. Like my daughter, my daughter is really intrigued, but she's nervous. That might come off offensive. And maybe that parent does say, well, forget it. I feel offended by you, but chances that that's not going to happen. Like then I'm going to be like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Let's, let's just go out for ice cream and we'll be together. And like, let's, let's build a friendship on thing on commonalities. Like everyone mm-hmm. doesn't feel like friendship. It might take longer. It might look a little different, but it, eventually they're going to realize they have things in common and they're going to want to build a friendship on those things. Yeah. And so let's start there. Let's go yes. there. But it definitely, and I know this because of the amount of moms I hang out who have kids with Down syndrome or different abilities, we feel like the pressure is all on us. And if we don't initiate and we don't make it happen, it's not going to happen. Okay. Um, and our kids want that. Mason, Macy wants a play date every day. Like yes. she's just... <laughs> wants yeah. to hang out with people like, yes. like everyone else does. And, yep. um, and then have grace for learning and she's going to, she might do things that feel really inappropriate and unexpected and we'll deal with it, you yes. know? 
And I'm thinking, um, ditto for my three kids. I'm like, oh, inappropriate. I'm like, they have like a master's degree in inappropriate. Like, <laughs> it's like, is it like as parents, it's a giant fear not to assimilate Mason into this, but it's like, yeah. Oh, my biggest fear is my kid would go to your house and then be, be the kid where you're like, oh my, oh my good Lord. <laughs> like, yeah. So maybe it's, maybe there's a dual fear. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I, yeah, I would just say, so then we're afraid, right? Like, yeah. so, so, so then we both don't know and we can't control together. our kids. Right. Yeah. Right. So let's see what happens. Our kids are awesome. You know, I feel like once kids get together, they're like, oh yeah, everything's fine here. For sure. For sure. Yeah. They're, yeah. they are such good teachers for us, aren't they? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So do it. That's my last word on that. Cool. Initiate it, do it. And you're, it'll be great. It'll be great. But what else? Anything else you're like, okay, I've never been asked this, but I want, I wish I, I wish someone would just ask me this question so that I could just share about it. Anything you just would like, ugh, I just want people to know this. Oh, I don't know. I really don't know. I have to think about that. That's yeah. something. What about you? <laughs> Ooh. Um, th- my, pro- my projection or my initial qu- thought to that is it's that this is real. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I think I, I can withdraw or become disillusioned with the hustle of people striving for a thing and then fearing that that I will somehow be absorbed into a non-genuine community. Mm. And so I feel like I'm always trying to like elbow room out and find some space to be like, no, like what I want to be a part of and who I am genuine and real. And if I, if, if I lose because of that, I win. Mm. <laughs> so. Do you feel like that's a human, a universal human need an idea and, feeling or that feels real unique to you? I feel it in the context maybe of Enneagram sometimes. Okay. Of like of a need for that unique appropriate separation uh-huh. versus the need to blend or feel like I'm a part of something bigger. Yeah. That's interesting. What's your Enneagram <laughs> number? I just did an hour and a half typing interview. I thought I was a two. And after this process, she's like, I think you're a four. Okay. I, think, I mean, that's, you know, in her, in her best way possible, it's like, I think that you, it would be helpful for you if you explored. <laughs> okay. <Like four. laughs> I'm like, okay, thank you. I'm like, oh, interesting. So I'm like, fine, sitting with it and trying it on for size and feeling my way through it. I'm like, wow, it's fascinating. Nice. I love that. Are you Enneagrammy? I am Enneagrammy. Um, yeah. I'm a two. And, but I get mistaken as an eight often. Okay. And yeah. which is fine. Eight. So twos are helpers. Eights are challengers. Mm-hmm. I think eights get a bad rap. Um, eights get a terrible rap, especially as women. Yeah. And I, I have some dear friends who are eights. I love an eight. So I'm not, you I'm know. not trying to not be an eight, but, um, twos go to eight and stress. Yeah. And I think that just what I, the career I've stepped into is a high stress career and so it pushes me towards challenger. So what I'm trying to do constantly is learn to be health, healthy in the stress area. That's so right. how do I, yeah, I, that I can be in a healthy, I can be a healthy too and a healthy at the same time. That's exactly right. And so that's, I think that's how I function most of the time. Yep. Which is why people are like, are you sure? Not an eight. <laughs> and then I'll, I've done it. I've read a bunch and I just recently, someone said, have you heard of a social eight? 
and I read all about socialites. I'm like, it's not me. Like that's fine. But none of this resonates with me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been different. It was different for me reading, 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 and then having someone take me through it. I'm like, whoa, that blew my mind. Oh yeah. Um, I have to try that. Yeah. The, I think I love uh, eight women. I feel like, I feel like, oh, we could accomplish great things together when I meet a woman who has a voice and, you know, leans into it. So if, whether you harness that or go to that or whatnot, um, it's, it's rad. (laughs) I I like it too. I like it too. That's good. Um, okay. What else? I guess in the last thing to say, and it may be repetitive because maybe I've said it all already, which is what repetitive is, um, (laughs) is, the thing that I've learned with my kids and I, and it just has been God's grace that I have get to be their mom. Cause I didn't really choose it at all. And most people have a child with a different ability. It doesn't, they don't choose it. Um, and I know I adopted, but it wasn't my initial plan, but there are, I, my greatest moments of learning and growth and being a better human have been with people who are different. And I think that we are living in a world that it is, we're just striving to be our best and it all needs to be homogeneous and easy, easy, best, easy, best, you know, and that we avoid hard things. And maybe that's always been that way, but it feels more and more to me. Um, and so I just want people to today and this week and this month and this year to find opportunities to be around people who are different than them as a listener and a learner, mm-hmm. right? Without mm-hmm. the posture of, hey, I've got something to teach you. Yeah. And you probably do. But to step into a space and say how, or to look at your space, who's missing, who is missing around me? Is everyone around me the same? And if they are, then I know that you are missing out on the fullness of life. Mm. And so how do you get people in your space? And I don't know how to answer the how, because it's going to be different for everybody, depending where they are geographically and, you know, resources and all that. But there's going to be opportunity for proximity and step into that, like to yes. be around people who are different than you, seeing them as incredible human beings, just as they are, not if they speak better, act better, walk better, look different, but like, as they are, they're incredible and have so much to offer this world and to offer you. And then to jump into those opportunities, just, you know, head on and it's hard and yeah. that is okay. Around mm. here, we say hard is just hard. Hard is not bad. And that's, That's going to go beautiful. on a t-shirt. I love that. Good. I'll just buy that one too and Perfect. I'll show up wearing that next time. <laughs> Will you say that again? Yeah. Hard is just hard. Hard is not bad. Yeah. That's so good. I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing. The challenge to be aware and enter in with as a listener, as a learner, to seek out difference, lean in, because hard is just hard. It's not bad. Yeah. Beautiful, Heather. Thank you. Please. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. If you are interested in beginning your own work in therapy or coaching, you can go to www.elisesnipes.com. Follow me on Instagram at Elise Snipes Collective, where I will be sharing more with you throughout the week. You can get in touch with me to suggest a topic for the show or to ask a question from your own life you would like to have answered. Or just say hi by emailing me at elise at elisesnipes.com. Remember to subscribe on iTunes and tell your friends.